Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Well, hello and good afternoon. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and thank you, as I say every week, because I am very grateful that you listen to the show and that you take time to invest in yourself and invest in your life, invest in your relationships. And so today we're going to do a show about, are you happy with who you are? Now, if I were to take a broad range, just poll of people, I bet that very few people would say, oh yeah, I'm really happy with who I am. I wish we could all be happy with who we are, but I do know that there is a way to be more comfortable in your own skin. And so if the only thing you get from this show is realizing, accepting, and reveling in the fact that you just being here on this planet, this is, this is not happenstance. You were planned and then you were created. And you are uniquely made. No one can actually copy who you are. Nobody can be the way that you can be. And I, I remind myself frequently, no one can succeed like I can, and no one can mess up the way I can mess up. And I want you to think about this idea that you have a very specific fingerprint, literally, but also you have a fingerprint of your life that you leave on this planet. Even identical twins have different fingerprints. If you remember some of the shows that we've talked about, when they understood that the way that fingerprints are made is when the little baby, uh, you know, babies or baby is in uterus, they push against the mother's uterus, the wall of the uterus, and this is how they create ridges in the fingers of their hands. This is how fingerprints are made. That's why identical twins can be identical in every way other than their, their fingerprint. So this is why... I know for myself, there were many times when I just wished I could unzip myself and get out of myself. I didn't want to be me. In fact, there were times I, I hated myself. I kept wanting to be somebody else. I was uncomfortable in my own skin. It felt like a jail in some ways because I didn't pick this body. No one consulted me when I was created. If I was consulted, I would have been taller. And I would have really thick hair. 
<laughs> Honestly, I'm sure I would have done it very differently. But I now know that if it were left up to me, I would never have been able to create the way that I was created. I didn't come up with the idea of me. And I had to come to terms with the fact that I will always be me. Wow. And I have, I, when I remember learning that, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I will always be me. I can never get away from myself. Even if I pass away, even if I die, I will still be me. So this is where it's really important to think about the need to make peace with yourself. See, I had to make peace with myself, and that's where I came up with the statement that I want to be the best version, the best version of me. I can't not be me, but I can be a really good version of myself, or I can be a really bad version of myself. So if I wasn't consulted in the creation process, I realized that I still have some tremendous amount of say in how I was going to walk this life out. Consequently, if I had to be me, I decided I was going to have to embrace it and not fight it. And this leads us to this wonderful concept of acceptance. And you have probably heard me say this so many times on this show. I think my clients are sick of it as well, <laughs> except I keep saying it. It's acceptance the key to all my problems. Acceptance the key to all my problems. I must accept the things I cannot change, and I change the things that need to be changed in order for me to be the best version of me. So if there's something about me that is in the hardwiring, like I can't change my eye color, I guess I can put on colored contact lenses, but I have to be able to accept that I was created Beside, I, didn't, I wasn't the one that was, was creating me, and I didn't consult myself on me. That I have to trust the creator. So when I think about acceptance, and I say, you know, I'm going to accept me 100%. Good, bad, and indifferent. And if I can make parts of me better, I will do that. And if there are parts of me that I don't like, I will accept them. So much of my struggle was in the fact that I was adopted. And I was placed in a family that wanted children very, very much. However, they also had to come to terms with the fact that the baby they adopted was nothing like them at all. There's something amazing about looking like your family. It's very validating and it gives a very strong and supportive feeling of belonging. So oftentimes, adopted children have a very difficult time with relationships because of this reason. They have a difficult time feeling like they're really wanted. You know, I used to say to God, you know, I, I, just, I, I think I just magically appeared on the planet. I don't think I was, I know that I wasn't planned. I know that my biological parents, it was a, not a great um, event in the creating of me. And so I know that I was a surprise to the whole entire world. Whoever was in that world, I was a surprise. And still to this day, it's interesting that when my husband found my biological family, no one knew anything about me. 
Somehow my mother, my biological mother, hid that pregnancy so well, gave birth to me, and nobody in her family knew anything about it. So when you think about this, see, I was placed in a family that wanted children, but they also wanted children that were like them because that's kind of what we do. We, we like to be like other people. We, we kind of join with people that we click with. And so families that have the same type of DNA usually kind of get along a little bit better because they know each other. They just accept some things. They look alike. They act alike. They might talk alike. doesn't mean that they're not very unique, but there's something different when you have a different level of biology. And I'll give you this great example. I will never forget the time. I was in fifth grade, and this is when those candy cigarettes were available. <laughs> and so they had like, it was like a bubble gum, piece of bubble gum wrapped. And if you like puffed at it, a lot of powdered sugar would come out, right? <laughs> so I remember I'm sitting at the kitchen table, and we had been allowed to buy whatever kind of candy we wanted, and I bought these candy cigarettes. And I was sitting there, and I held this candy cigarette. Now, you have to understand, I think I might be eight, eight or nine years old, okay? Not, not very old. And so I'm holding this candy cigarette between my two, two fingers, and I'm puffing out the powdered sugar to make it look like smoke. And the look on my parents' face, I still can remember it. They were like, how does she know how to hold a cigarette? And puff out smoke? She's never been around people that smoke. She doesn't even have access to cigarettes. But what I came to find is that every single person in my biological family smoked. And so this is where it's fascinating when you think about, hey, how am I made? I'm, I'm a created person. I didn't just appear. It wasn't magic. It wasn't happenstance. And so it's important to really understand that every single human that ever is created, if there's conception, that's a person. And this is where we want to think about, wow, all these unique individuals. And what do we do oftentimes? We try to be like everybody else, don't we? So I want to read you one of my favorite psalms in the Bible because it really helped me with this idea of being happy with who I am. And it's Psalms 139, and it's a very, very famous uh, Psalms. And it starts out with saying, You searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit. You know when I rise. You're, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty to attain. Where I can go from your spirit, nowhere. Where I can flee from your presence, nowhere. I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths in hell, you're there. And surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. And the night will shine like the day. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
and I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Now those lines were very difficult for me. To say I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and your works are wonderful, I didn't think the work of me was wonderful at all. So I was at odds with this whole entire concept that God was saying about how happy he was that he created me and that he thought about me. And as he thought about me, he started gathering all the ingredients that he needed to make me. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about this idea of are you happy with who you are? Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you so much for joining me today and listening and really, you know, encouraging your friends to listen to the show as well. I so appreciate that. And I've gotten lots of great feedback. And so I want you to make sure that you also take advantage of the website that has study guides that go along with every show. And we also have a, a book called How to Be Your Own Best Change Agent. You can get that for free. You can download it. So we have lots of things on the website that are going to help you in just really, truly being the best version of you. And if you're just tuning in, we left off here with going over this, what is, it's Psalms 139. And it is really an amazing Psalms because it talks about the creation of individuals, of people. And this is when, in my life, I was really struggling with identity. And I didn't like who I was. I wasn't like any of my family members. I didn't look like anybody. And so when I began to understand this entire Psalms, it helped me to realize that regardless of how I feel, God really wanted me to be here. He created me. I didn't create myself. And he had me as an idea in his mind. And he said, that's who I want to make now. I want to make a Cynthia. And he created me. And even though my biological family did not plan me, in fact, nobody knew anything about me until about five years ago, they had no idea that they had a biological child out there somewhere. And so even though I wasn't planned, what God helped me to understand is that he planned me. He's the one that came up with the idea. <laughs> He's the one that decided he wanted to make a Cynthia. And so that helped me to come to terms with self-acceptance. And I love this Psalms, this 139, because it, it's God really speaking to us about the idea when he says, my, you know, when he says that he saw my unformed body and all the days were ordained for me and written in his book before one of them came to be. He had all these days ordained. He was planning on me being here. And for an adopted person, that's a really important feeling to have. That even though my biological family did not plan me and my adopted family didn't necessarily plan for me, but they just wanted more children and couldn't have any. So I'm like the second best, right? Now, I know that's not true, but that is how adopted kids oftentimes feel. 
And so when I realized that God was saying to me that I was put together, he says he created me in, in my inmost being. He knit me together in my mother's womb, and he is so happy and sees me as wonderfully made. So this is where we want to really say, okay, you know, I may struggle with who I am. I may struggle with the way I look, with my level of intelligence or lack of it, right? I may struggle with not having a talent that I think I would like to have that somebody else has. But the one thing that we know is that we are 100% unique. We cannot be replicated. And how powerful is that when you consider the fact that when someone dies, that person is now extinct. There are no other people. They, they can't, there's no one coming back like them. They're the only person that is like them. They are it. And so when you think about this, I started to realize how God must feel when I was chronically complaining about myself. And he kind of took me to task a little bit, he's, you know, and, and said that he's really happy with me. And I'm an artist myself, and I know how it feels when someone doesn't like or understand or appreciate what I've created. And I realized at that moment, oh my gosh, I actually can hurt God's feelings. Because I complained relentlessly about who I was. I would say, why can't I be this? Why couldn't I have been that? Why don't I have that talent? Why can't I look like this? All these different things. And I realized that God's thinking to himself, why is she complaining to me about how I made her when I'm so happy I did? And many of us, even if you are born to the biological family that you grew up in, lots of times we feel like we're not wanted or that there's something wrong with us. Or if we could do this, or if we did that, or if we had this or that, then we'd be better and people would like us more. And so this is where I want you to really understand that you can recognize that even though you have some similarities to other people, you're the only one. You are that unique and you are that important to the world. And so this is why we want to really understand who we are. So I've done lots of um, different uh, lectures on the Myers-Briggs, and there's a lot of different types of, you know, temperament uh, tests and personality tests, but I really like the Myers-Briggs because of the way that it kind of breaks it down. So in this next half hour, I want to give you just some idea about knowing yourself. And this is about when we look at temperament. And so if we go back to DEF CON, we remind ourselves that we're, we are our own country, and that country needs to be protected, and a country that we hope will thrive. See, you're a sovereign nation with a very specific culture and a unique idiosyncratic element that is about you. So your temperament largely determines that culture. So temperament describes what comes naturally to you, the systems, the preferences which influence your behavior, how you think, how you feel, how you prioritize things. And that is the unique temperament that you have. Now, there are similarities with other people that may share that same temperament, but we're still even unique in that. 
And so if, if you've heard about the Myers-Briggs, you understand that it's one of the oldest assessments out there. And it has a long history of test-taking. And the MBTI has significant amounts of data and statistical research to prove its enduring validity. So I really like the test. It's a very positive experience for people. And there are eight different letters that manifest into 16 different personality types. And it encompasses much variety, even within each type. So there's a lot of flexibility with the Myers-Briggs. And that's one of the reasons when I do any kind of temperament testing or personality testing, I like to use the Myers-Briggs because it's very, very flexible. It kind of overlaps in some ways, but you still have this one particular point that defines you. And so I really highly encourage it. It's, it's a great thing to take. You can even take it online if you want. And so we're going to talk about these eight different preferences and each pair of the preferences and how people fall along the spectrum and always having both parts but leaning more heavily and naturally to one side. So when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about, first and foremost, introversion versus extroversion. And I think you might be a little bit surprised to hear and understand what introversion and extroversion really is because they kind of can feel similar in some ways and then sometimes they're completely opposite of one another. So this is important for us as we are really being willing to own who we are and to really manifest truly the unique fingerprint that we can leave on this planet. So join me in the last segment as we talk more about this. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Welcome back to the show. If you're just tuning in, I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're just tuning in, make sure you go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. Lots of things that are there for you that are available. We have handouts. We have some, some booklets. We have study guides that go along with the shows that we do. So I think you'll really appreciate the website and enjoy it. So we are talking about identity. We are talking about how we are made. And we are using the Bible verse about that says how beautifully and wonderfully made we are. And that God really puts time into every single human. It's artwork for him. And he's very proud of his artwork. And I know that I've hurt his feelings many times by complaining about who I am. <laughs> saying that I wanted this to be different or that to be different and you know why couldn't I be like this person or and so it's really important that we really work on acceptance of who we are that who we are has been planned since the beginning of time so when I talk to people about my story and I say you know I'm adopted and nobody knew anything about me my entire biological parents uh, on both sides that those families knew nothing about me and I was adopted into a family that was very different than I was. And so I didn't look like anybody. I didn't think like the rest of the people in my family. I didn't like the same things they did. And so it, it makes it tough when we work on acceptance. And so we want to make sure that we go back to 
the fact that all of us are created beings. Nobody creates themselves. Nobody make, makes up themselves. Now we get to add and, and take away from who we are. We get to have some, you know, say in what we're like and what we think and what we do. But somebody had to create us. And so when you think about these different aspects of temperament, introversion and extroversion is one of the biggest ones. And introversion and extroversion really address an energy source. See, an introvert gets most of their energy from being alone. And they get to settle down and they get to hash through things and they get to think and they come out very re-energized. While extroverts fare better when they are with other people. They need the energy. They like talking and bantering and, and hashing things out. And introverts have a tendency to get really exhausted by that. And so introverts many times want to talk about deep and meaningful, you know, topics. And extroverts just like to get along with people. They just like to interact with everybody. They don't have to talk about deep things. Now they certainly do and can. But they just like the energy of talking with different people. So I worked with a couple where the man was an extrovert and his wife was an introvert. And they were both having quite a bit of trouble. And much of it stemmed from the problem of communication. And he confessed to me, he said, she just starts to shut down when I talk to her. I see her shut down. And since I had worked with both of them together, I was really able to observe this interaction. And I gave him my assessment. I said, you know, you're overwhelming her. You're waterboarding her with words. And as an extrovert, he processes information as he talks. So he has to talk out loud to know what he's thinking. And she, being an introvert, can't talk that fast or talk off the top of her head. She has to have time to think about something, pull it together inside of herself, and then be able to articulate it. So I told him that you have to be careful you don't extrovert all over her. Before you talk with your wife, talk out loud to yourself or to another extrovert if you have to, so that you know exactly what you need to say. See, introverts don't like to have to contend with a lot of words. They get waterboarded by words. So I also coached him to be comfortable with silence because extroverts hate silence. And introverts experience a lot of comfort in silence and it gives them room to process. Now, he made these changes immediately, and amazingly enough, the effort transformed their relationship. He doesn't process out loud in front of her. He takes what he wants to say to her and then boils it down to what she needs to hear, and he gives her permission and space to form her own opinion, saying, I'm going to let you think about that for a while. So we all have a little bit of both extroversion and introversion in us, but we prefer usually one mode over the other. So think about this. Introverts are reflective. They like to work alone. They think before they act or talk. They like to concentrate for long periods of time. They don't want to be interrupted. They need to rest after socializing. They prefer depth to width. They like to talk about deep things. And they need to be drawn out often. Whereas, you know, extroverts, they're very enthusiastic. They act and speak before they think. And they love expressing themselves. And they can be a little impatient. So join me in the next segment as we talk more about these different temperament types. 
Well, welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me. And if you're just tuning in, make sure you go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. We have lots of things available for you there. We have study guides that correspond with the shows, and we have um, a booklet that you can also download, that it's, and it's about how to be your own best change agent. And so we have lots of things that are available for you as you are really continuing to be the best version of you. So if you're just tuning in, the show today is Are You Happy With Who You Are? And we are now at the the end of this show talking about the Myers-Briggs. And this is a temperament inventory test that we oftentimes give people. There's lots of different types, but I have a tendency to really be partial to the Myers-Briggs. And so we're talking about these different types of characteristics when we look at these things. And so we talked about introverts in the last one. And so let's talk about extroverts. And extroverts are very enthusiastic people. They act and they speak before they're thinking. So if you're an extrovert, you know what it feels like to always have to take something back or to ask yourself when you leave, why did I say that? I can't believe I just said that. And introverts always leave an event, right? And they're thinking, oh, that's what I should have said. Oh, I lost the the option of saying that. Or they're thinking to themselves, why did I just kind of like fall apart? Why did I just like introvert in front of everybody? And so when you think about this idea of extroverts, they talk to understand things. And they love variety. They can be impatient. They have lots of friends. And they learn tasks by doing them. Introverts have to think first. So they think before they speak. They do like to express themselves, but only if it feels safe. They do like some variety, but they don't like variety imposed upon them. So they're not super spontaneous. And although extroverts can be kind of impatient, introverts can as well. They can be a little impatient when they think they have the answer and nobody's wanting to hear their answer. And so introverts typically have very deep friendships. And so they might not have, they might have a group of people, but they probably only have one or two people they talk to. And so when we think about this next arena, it's called the intuiting and sensing. And what this is, this preference, is about how we gather information from the world around us. And so intuitives, they learn from context and a big picture. See, they always want to know what the big picture is and how that fits into it. Sensing types take in the picture detail by detail. And so when I'm talking with my husband, I'll give you an example. He's very sensing and I'm very intuitive. Sometimes it messes with our communication. So when he was reconstructing our whole kitchen, he asked me about a door. And he said this door was going to be between the office, my office, and the kitchen. And I answered with this long list of potentials about all the different kinds of doors we could put in and the pros and cons of each. And I started talking and dreaming about the future door. And for Michael, he like finally just said, he stopped me and he said, Cynthia, I just want to know if you want a door there. I haven't even gotten to what type of a door. And I just burst out laughing because I thought this is what intuitives do. And so he just wanted to make sure he made space for the door if I wanted to actually have a door there. So sensing types and intuitive types really process information differently. Sensing types focus on practical examples and intuitives is all about the world of ideas. So see, for me as an intuitive, ideas are very entertaining to me. I don't care if I'm actually going to do them or not. I just like thinking about them. And so frequently I have to say to Michael, I don't even know if you want to do this. I'm just talking about it. 
See, if I don't tell him that it's just a thought, as a sensing person, he'll start panicking. He'll think he has to make it happen. And he's thinking, how are we going to do that? What's that going to cost? You know, I haven't, and, and I'll say to him, hey, you know, we haven't, you haven't even gone that far. Don't worry about it. I'm just brainstorming. I'm talking out loud, right? So intuitives really like theories. They look at possible future possibilities. They like complex problems. They don't like repetition. Taking time for, for precision is very difficult for them. They kind of make factual mistakes. And they see time as relative. Now, sensing types, they are very careful about facts and precise work. And they focus on what works now, and they like tangible results. They enjoy established ways of doing things. They're very methodical and literal. And they always like to apply what they know. And so they understand pieces in their uniqueness. So we have this next topic, this next part, and it is about the thinking versus feeling people. And thinking and feeling orientations really address decision making. So see what you fit into when you hear this. So thinking people of the world operate under the assumption that if we do the right thing, no matter how painful it is, we're going to all feel better in the end. The feeling person says that we all have to be on the same page and feel good about our decision in order to know if it's right. Now, I'm a very high T. And I used to practice with five other therapists. And I was the office manager because I'm the only one that felt comfortable hiring and firing people. The other four therapists, they were feeling types, struggled with that. Now, we had a budget meeting and realized that we could not afford our part-time receptionist, so we had to fire her. Now, this caused a lot of anxiety in our group. Some of the therapists even lost some sleep. They feel bad about firing our receptionist. She's got a kid. She's a single mom. She needs the money. How could we do this to her? And I kept telling them. We don't have the money. I understand she's a single mom, but we can't afford her. So they tried to find ways to, to not fire her. They came back to me and said, well, what if we just take a pay cut? And I said, we're not taking a pay cut. <laughs> no, we can't afford the receptionist. Now, it was hard for me as a thinking type to understand why they were having such a hard time with these facts and even trying to change the facts. I finally said, okay, listen, listen. We'll give her an extra two weeks of employment, but the longer we keep her, the longer it's going to take us to find another, take her to find another job. So I did all I could for this woman to send her out well. But in my mind, her being a single woman was not necessarily my problem. Her bills were not my problem. My problem was making sure that we as a practice had what we needed to run. And so these are different distinctions when we think about Thinking versus feeling types. Thinking types really rely on logic. They critique people and systems. They focus on principles. They're very justice-oriented. Sometimes they might um, unintentionally hurt people's feelings because they, they seem really confident as well. They may seem kind of cold, and they respond to people's ideas oftentimes instead of their feelings. So they can be tough, but necessary decisions you know, they do pretty well. If they have to, to make a really tough personal decision, they do it very well. So feeling types, they really value mercy. And they love harmony and empathy, very em empathic. They always consider people's feelings. And they can take things too personally sometimes. And they need affirmation. They enjoy pleasing people. 
And they take interest in people more than in ideas. So when we think about feeling types, we can see they're different than thinking types. It doesn't mean, though, again, we have both sides in us. One is just more dominant. So let's look at this next part. This is organizing and adapting. It also can be considered, um, it, it, it's kind of like organizers that use their calendar and count on it. They color code and schedule and love to go to Staples. Versus the adapting kind of people, they live in the moment. They stop and smell the flowers. When they go to the store in the mall, all the organizers try to make lanes for walking in, you know, in traffic. Like They want all the people to walk in the, in the right lane. And adapters don't even, they pay no mind to this. They just stop in the middle of everything. They might stop in the middle of the mall and just start talking. And so organizers are also known as judging. And adapters are known as perceiving types. So I worked with a man and a woman, a couple, who embodied these differences. And the difference almost caused them to divorce. See, the man was a high adapter, which meant that he started projects and he hardly ever completed them. See, for him, this tendency manifested itself in a lot of unfinished home projects. Now, he's a handy guy, and he liked to work on their house, but felt unfazed by multiple projects that were going on at the same time. Constantly thinking and talking about the projects made him feel like he was actually making progress when he actually hadn't done anything. Now, his wife, a staunch organizer, could not stand all this disorganization and chaos in their home, and it drove her crazy that her husband would not make it to his goals and refuse to stay on track, refuse to schedule, right? And so he, he was, you know, tested by all these momentary whims. He would, like, go off in one direction, and then he might come back. And so what happened was she appeared super rigid to him. And so organizers like to make plans. They set goals. They keep schedules. They work through to completion. They love structure. And adapters, oh, they let life happen. They enjoy flexibility. They like last-minute changes. And they feel restricted by schedules. And they have difficulty making decisions because they kind of like both sides of it. So they can be a little disorganized, but they really value creativity and spontaneity. See, organizers and adapters are also known by the judging and perceiving types. And so when you think about this, you know, my husband had to learn that, that me as an introvert, and I'm also very, very judging because I like to be organized, means I'm not very spontaneous. <laughs> now, he can be very spontaneous. I, t I have to plan my spontaneity. I really do. And so when he learned that, it made it a lot easier because he would kind of start to, you know, address an idea or let me know about a thought he had. And that would give me some time to think about and feel it out and say, hey, do I really want to do that? Yeah, that might be really fun. But he doesn't spring it on me. And so when you think about these, these ideas of these types, and you can also pick up the book. It's called Please Understand Me, and it's by David Kiersey and Marilyn Bates. And they did a really good job with this book. So I'll tell you some, some really famous types. So an ISTJ, okay, that's the person, that's the thinking and the judging person, the sensing person. And Warren Buffett is all that. Now the ISFJ, if we look at that, that's the introverted sensing person that has a lot of feeling. Well, that's Rosa Parks. 
George Bush, Mother Teresa, Carl Jung. How about this? Al Pacino, right? So think about an INTP. This is the introverted, intuitive person that's thinking and perceiving. Albert Einstein. So when you think about all these different temperaments, and if they're in extreme, then it becomes really difficult to contend with that person. So we want to make sure that exploring these differences between introversion and extroversion, sensing and intuitive, thinking and feeling, and the organizing and adapting types, when you get it, other people really won't bother you so much. In fact, you'll find them fascinating. Once you start to recognize that this is a God-given quality, it's like eye color. Nobody chooses their eye color. And so it helps to really be responsible for your type and who you are and how you operate in the world around you so that you can be sure that the way that God made you was actually to help, inform, encourage other people around you. Instead of just being this person that keeps bumping into everybody or keeps you know, putting their foot in their mouth, you can recognize that, hey, if I'm the best version of me, I will fit anywhere I go because I will be on top of myself. I will understand myself. And as I do that, I will understand others. And the interactions will be much, much better and more valuable. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me next week and have a blessed week. Thanks for listening. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from her website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version. <music>